Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the world, word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been what? Raised, raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every truth, every authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Risen Lord, giver of life, giver of salvation. Thank you that you have spoken to us. And we need to hear it this morning. Lord Jesus, you who came and opened the ears of the deaf and opened the eyes of the blind, would you do that again this morning for us? Would you cause us, as we kneel before your word, as we submit our hearts to your word, would you cause us to see you and to worship you in the splendor of your holiness? Would you give us the desire to serve you, even as you came, serving us by giving your life as a ransom for many. Lord, this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Day, tune our hearts to your word, 
Make us ready to receive it. Stir up faith within us so that we can lay hold of it. Lord, I pray for the doubter. I pray for the skeptic this morning. I pray for the one who's searching and seeking. Spirit of God, would you speak to that one and cause them to see the glory and the beauty of the risen Christ this morning. And for our brother and our pastor, Andrew, Lord, you know, he knows that he is a jar of clay this morning before us, and yet he has that treasure in him. And Lord, he has a, a surpassing power that is beyond himself as he delivers your word. Spirit of God, bring unction to this man as he stands before us and delivers your truth. To the praise of the risen Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. He is risen. Such a great morning to be together. Uh, beautiful sunshine. Uh, just so glad to have this time to worship together, gather around God's word. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, hope you don't just get warm temperature-wise uh, in this room. I'm a little bit warm up here. Uh, but uh, I hope that you receive a warm welcome in Christ. Easter sermons are not always the easiest for me. Uh, I don't know if all preachers experience that. Uh, it's just, you know, there's so much when you come to the resurrection. You're like, how do I fit it all in? So forgive me if I try to fit too much in this morning. But it's such a great story. Um, and I don't know what your expectations are. I'm very mindful of the fact that there's a room full of people here, and uh, we're, we're all on a different journey. I would contend that we all are in some relation to Jesus Christ. Uh, not necessarily a relationship, but we all live our lives in some way, you know, relating to Christ. Maybe your back is turned and you're walking away. Uh, maybe you're sort of sideways, somewhat ambivalent, like Pastor Steve prayed, you know, doubts, questions, all of those. Maybe you've got your head down, maybe there's some shame there. Uh, you, you love the Lord, you want to follow Him, but you're plagued by your own sort of inner doubts, failures, all of those things. Maybe you're greeting the morning, you're just so glad uh, to, to be alive and in Christ. I don't know exactly what it is, but my, my contention this morning is that the resurrection is a truth that is so beautiful, uh, and it's so compelling, and it, it is so life-changing that I would just love for us all to grapple with that and to uh, embrace it in a way that really does change our lives. I was thinking this week um, of Donald Eugene Miller. Uh, interesting story. In 1986, he was an alcoholic. He was unsure of what to do, so he just left his hometown of Fostoria, Ohio. He disappeared. Along the way, the next uh, eight years or so, he worked odd jobs in Atlanta and Florida, 
1994, actually, so eight years later, uh, an Ohio court, because nobody had heard from him, declared him legally dead. And uh, when he came back in 2005, it was a bit of a problem for him. Uh, he was trying to reestablish his life, trying to reestablish his identity. He found out he had issues with driver's licenses and all of the different things. So the court, the case had to go to court. And during court, the, the judge said, well, we've got an obvious situation here. Uh, there is a man sitting in the courtroom. He appears to be in good health. But the judge felt that his hands were tied by the three-year limit on the death ruling. Uh, it is clear. I don't know where that leaves you, the judge told Miller. But though you are alive, you are deceased as far as the law is concerned. Interesting place to be in in life. And what I was thinking of this week as I was thinking about this Mr. Miller is how often... Do we, though we are alive, though the resurrection uh, has occurred, though we live in that world, do we sort of live with this death sentence hanging over us? Do we sort of exist without the full benefits of being recognized as alive, either ourselves recognizing that or those around us? recognizing the truth of it. And that's what I want to, again, you know, invite us into uh, this morning, because I think it's really compelling. I think it's, I think it's can be world-changing for you, and that's really what you know, this resurrection story is. You know, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about church things, we talk about the Bible, so often we focus on forgiveness, uh, forgiveness of sins. Like, we have you know, like the Bible says, all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and we focus on then the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, you know, the sixth word from the cross, it, it was finished. And, and we focus on that as the, the story of the scriptures. But it's really so much more than that. And it's the resurrection that helps us to see that it's not just a matter of having our sins forgiven, but there is a, a whole way of viewing the world, viewing the universe, viewing our place in it uh, that is opened up in terms, of, in terms of the gospel. One writer put it this way, the gospel is not just a message about the forgiveness of sins, but rather the gospel is a whole way of viewing the world. The challenge is, in fact, I'm still quoting here, the challenge of a new creation. The resurrection of Jesus offers itself to the student of history or the student of science, which, interestingly enough, uh, you know, one, it's been pointed out that history seeks to study the things that are unrepeatable. You know, there was only one Waterloo, right? And so we study it in, in history. Science tries to repeat things and to study the things that are repeatable. Uh, and, and what we see with the gospel is that it incorporates both of those. It incorporates both history and science uh, in a way that puts the resurrection as the utterly characteristic, prototypical, and foundational event within the world as it has begun to be. 
if we are to glimpse this new world, let alone enter it, we will need a different kind of knowing, a knowing that involves us in, in new ways, an epistemology that draws us not just from us a cool appraisal of detached quasi-scientific research, but draws the whole person engagement and involvement which the best shorthand that we have for that kind of engagement involvement is love. So in a very real sense, you know, what, what we're going to be challenged on, I think, this morning or invited into this morning is the question of what do you love? You know, what, what really do you love in, in such a way that you are willing to embrace it? Now, this is not going to be um, a sermon seeking to prove the resurrection. Uh, I, I am going to uh, assume that the resurrection happened. You know, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, physically, bodily. Now, again, some of you may be struggling with that. That may be the place where, you know, whether it's scientifically or belief or whatever it might be, your own background, you're, you're struggling with that. That's an honest question. Uh, and, and I don't want to disparage the question at all. I encourage you to, uh, to sort it out. One Harvard law professor who had the same question and studied it concluded this. He said, the assessment of those who have extensively studied the resurrection is that there is no other historical event as thoroughly attested to as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The folly of alternate explanations is merely another demonstration of its reality. So again, I, I'm, a, I'm assuming that today as we go forward, or as Schaefer would say, I, I'm going to sit in the chair of unbelief, or of belief, sorry. Uh, I'm going to sit in the chair of belief and view the world through that lens. And, and so I'd invite you to take that perspective, even if you don't believe. You know, take the perspective, like what would the world look like if the resurrection happened, all right? If, if the resurrection were true, assuming that it was true, what would the world look like? And I want to give you three theological truths and then four practical applications. The first theological truth is this. Uh, if the resurrection is true, then our past is dealt with. Our past is dealt with. Uh, and, and you can carry this out with an S. Our sins are forgiven, specifically. You saw that in verse 17. For if the dead are not raised, this is verse 16, then even, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection is very clearly tied up with the forgiveness of sins. Now, you know, oftentimes we connect that with the cross work of Christ. And clearly, you know, they go together in this sense. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he was crucified as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he said, John 19 verse 30, it is finished. When he said that, he was talking about the, the price that was demanded, the atonement that had to be made, and our sins are forgiven, but it's very much tied up with his resurrection as well. If the resurrection does not happen, then our sins aren't forgiven. We see it in a number of other places. Colossians 2, it says, you know, having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith 
uh, and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses. Again, so there's that connection between resurrection and forgiveness. Or Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, the first thing that the resurrection tells us is that our past, you know, this, the, the sin that hangs over us, has been forgiven. And, and it's done. It, it's over. It is finished. Uh, you know, in Greek, we have this thing called the aorist tense. And it, and it looks back, and it's a, it's a single event that happens in the past. Uh, and, and that is what Jesus is talking about. That is what we're being communicated with, that because of the resurrection, we can know that our sins are forgiven in the past, right? So when, and, and for the present. So when Satan comes to us and tempts us, he's the accuser of the brethren, we say no. The resurrection happened. I know that my sins are forgiven uh, as I put my faith in Christ. I know that that has happened. Get away from me. Secondly, uh, it, it carries on life in the present. Specifically here, and we see this throughout this passage, uh, it, it's, we don't have time to dive through every particular verse of this passage, but you see particularly verses uh, 42 on, you see the, um, the, trans, the, um, the placing of the natural body alongside of the spiritual body. And what he means there is not that we're fleshly now. You can touch us. There's material substance. And, you know, when, when Jesus comes again or because of the resurrection, we turn spiritual, you know, kind of like a ghost, uh, you know, insubstantial. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying because of the resurrection, there is a new animation for the Christian. There is a new power. There's a new presence. And that is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the resurrection power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, inhabits us. And so we live in Christ. We live this whole this whole new existence, not only are our sins forgiven, but we have the present power, the present presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8, you, however, are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And then verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you. You see the connection there. The resurrection ensures us that right here and right now, we are inhabited by the Holy Spirit. That's going to be very important in just a minute, so hang on to that fact. The third thing is this. Uh, so we are, our past sins are forgiven. In our present, we are spirit-filled. And for our future, we will shine in glory. 
right? Theologically, you see that here. As we read through this passage, there is a movement of Christ as the first fruits, but as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in its own order. Proof that the Apostle Paul was Presbyterian, right? Everything decently in good order. Uh, so Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then the, the whole passage carries out. And then at the end, it, it finishes with this big victory speech where he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable, the mortal put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come, the, come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death. Where is your sting? So as we look to the future, the resurrection assures us that we are part of the victory train of Jesus, right? We will shine in glory. What is being prepared for us, we cannot imagine, but it is a weight of glory so wonderful, so uh, overwhelming, and this is the implication of the resurrection, that we too are a part of what Jesus has come to do and what he is the first fruits of. So those are three things that are true. You know, when you, when you come to the resurrection, we say, okay, what, what is so game-changing about the, the resurrection? You can look at it in terms of your past, your present, and your future. Your sins are forgiven. You know, you now live a spirit-filled existence that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has also raised you to newness of life and dwells within you. And that the promise is that this life is not the end, that you are moving on into glory. You know, so Billy Graham can say, you know, when you hear Billy Graham is dead, don't believe it. I've just changed my address. You know, we, we have that promise that we are moving on into glory. So those are the truths. Now here's the second question that I want to deal with this morning. Is to just say, why? I mean this is, you know, what difference does it make? How does this practically come out into my life? If these things are true, how would my life look different? Maybe than it does now. Or how do I continue pressing into these truths? And you know, again, I, I know we're all at a different point with regards to this. I, I know we're all in a different relation to Jesus. And so some of you, you know, are going to hear these things and embrace them and say, yes, I am so glad. Others of you are going to recognize that this doesn't really describe your life. And, and I would suggest that there is a hardship on the other side of this. Like there's beauty and peace as we embrace these things. But there's struggle if we don't. So let me give you an example of what I mean. The first, uh, the first practical application that I want to suggest to you is that the resurrections, you know, the truth of the resurrection pushes us to see 
how God is, is promoting an earthly renewal. All right? Earthly renewal is, is the first one. And what I mean by that is this, is that the resurrection demonstrates to us that as we move forward, there is both continuity and discontinuity with our physicality. You see that in verse 40 and 41 of chapter 15, uh, where Paul says, look, when we talk about the resurrection, when we talk about the seed that's sown, when we talk about this uh, imperishable harvest that comes, he says there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of stars, for star differs from star in glory. What is Paul saying there? He's saying that there is continuity and discontinuity in terms of the perishable and the imperishable. They're different, but they come out of the same, they come out of the same root. They come out of the same seed. So, for instance, just with regards to our bodies, we, we look at our bodies and we say, all right, how do I treat my body? You know, if I'm going into the future, if I'm going to be part of this heavenly kingdom, and I am going to be raised spiritual, I'm going to be raised insubstantial, not part of my body, you know, then I can do whatever I want to my body. I can eat poorly, I can, you know, operate sexually whatever way I want to, I can do whatever I want with my body, but... If, as the resurrection says, there is both continuity and discontinuity, then I have some responsibility to my body now because I know that it will endure. Think about Jesus. You know, when he rose from the dead, did the disciples know who he was? Yes and no. You know, there were times when they recognized him and he was very substantial and they could touch him, they could, you know, embrace him, whatever. But then there were other times when they weren't quite sure who it was, and they didn't recognize him, and he could also pass through walls. But he now is raised, and one of the tenets of our faith is that he is seated physically, right, at the right hand of the Lord. Now, that means something for you and for me. You know, we're, we're not going to this disembodied existence. And so we need to think about our bodies, both in a way that takes responsibility, but also in a way that doesn't obsess over them. You know, also in a way that recognizes that they have their frailties right now, which many of us are very aware of. We recognize that they will be transformed. But there is something very practical for us to grasp onto. I focused on the bodies, but I, I said earthly renewal. I mean, the same is true for creation. You know, we look outside and we say, well, what responsibility do we have? Well, the resurrection says that God is going to redeem what he created. He's going to redeem our bodies, right? But he's also going to redeem the birds and the bees and the sky and the trees. You know, we're, we're not going to a dis earthly existence. You know, when we read Revelation uh, chapter 21, we see God coming down to earth. We don't see the people of earth zipping up into heaven. You know, it, it's, it's a very, it's, it's got a physical, a physicality to it, but it's different 
because it's animated by the Spirit. So, that's the first thing. The second thing is this. There is an employment resolve. Uh, so, earthly renewal, employment resolve. And this very much flows out of what we just said. If that is true. So, if the resurrection tells us that there is a redemption, a cosmic redemption that is going on, that involves more than just simply the forgiveness of sins, but it involves God's renewal of all creation. If that is true, you know, we are called to engage fully in pleasing God in whatever we do. You see this here in a couple of ways. You know, the summary statement in verse 58 of chapter 15 Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So it's so interesting that he talks about the resurrection. He gives his whole defense of the resurrection, right? And his conclusion is work hard. His conclusion is, you know, give yourself in service of the Lord, because it's worthwhile. The resurrection proves to us that it's worthwhile. It's, it's the foundation of our work. If the resurrection didn't happen, then it doesn't matter, right? It, it's all just going in, a, in an opposite direction, so there's no use, you know, employing yourself in business and, and seeking to please God through building better systems. There's no use, you know, serving mercy to people. There's just no use for any of it. There's no use for value or virtue if the resurrection hasn't happened. Paul kind of alludes to that as well a little bit earlier. I think it's verse, uh, yeah, verse 32. He says, uh, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? So presumably this is something that happened to Paul. Uh, as part of his, you know, work for the gospel, he was put into the, the den, you know, into the arena with, with beasts. He said, I gave myself for a value. If the resurrection didn't happen, what use is that? You know, if that's the case, uh, if the dead are not raised, well, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Uh, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. What Paul is saying to the Corinthian church is, look it. The resurrection changes the direction of your life and what you employ yourself in day in and day out. I'm, I am talking about vocation, like your actual job. You know, and I know that we have college students here, and some of you are thinking through, what are you going to give your life to? You know, some of you are, you know, in that mid-level, and you're saying, okay, when I grow up, I'm going to be do this. You know, we never really quite get over that. So I am talking about that specifically, but also just in terms of value. What Paul says is, like, look it. If the resurrection has happened, then I can, I can lose my life. I can give it for the, the, I can sacrifice. I don't have to get everything that I think I need to get. You know, I can give myself to a cause that is greater than me. And I wonder, you know, as we look around Western culture, we look around our friends, we think about our own lifestyle, we think about our money, our checkbooks, all of these different things. Do we have checkbooks anymore? Our cash apps, we think about those things, right? As we think about that, 
you know, what does it say about our belief in the resurrection? Do, are we really living like this happened and this world is not the end and we're going into a next end or are we trying to get everything that we can get right now? So very practically, you know, when we bring the resurrection into the center of our existence, uh, it changes the way that we go about what we employ ourselves with day by day. Two other things. The third one is this, and I'm not going to go into this at length, but our enemies are at rest. So, you know, we said we have this earthly resolve, you know, we have employment, or what did I say? Earthly renewal. See, that's what happens when I give them two things, right? We have earthly renewal, employment resolve, uh, and now thirdly, our enemies are at rest. Because we are spirit-filled, remember I said hold on to that thought, if we are spirit-filled, you know, the resurrection is true. We are raised with Christ. You know, you are filled with that spirit. What does that mean? That means that you bear the fruit of the spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, all of these things. How important is that in a day-to-day -day basis as you seek to get along with those closest to you? I mean, I know it's important to me. I just had a conversation with a brother out in the hallway and just talking through. I need more patience. We all need more patience, right? But the resurrection has happened. We are filled with the Spirit. Therefore, we have the fruits of the Spirit. And so we can rest in Christ and we can rest in our, our struggles with those who otherwise oftentimes seem at odds with us. You know, the other reason we can rest is because if that's true for me, and I think about this with Lisa, I'm sure she thinks about it with me more than she, I think about it with her. But if God is at work in me, then I know God is at work in her too. And I can trust that. And that is so incredibly freeing. I don't have to change her. I don't have to control her. I say the same thing with my kids, right? I, I don't have to do that. I can take my hands off the wheel because God is at work in them. We are spirit-filled, and so we can be at rest, you know, in our relationships with those who oftentimes we find ourselves at enmity with. And the last sort of practical uh, application is this. There is an exit repose. Very aware, you know, this week we had a funeral here yesterday. I know there are others of you that have just watched your mothers die or your sisters. And uh, death is always a very real thing in our lives. You know, it's appointed unto man once to die, right? Uh, Woody Allen, death and taxes. You know, those are the things that we, we can't escape. Uh, every single one of us. But the resurrection tells us that there is hope beyond the grave. The resurrection tells us that we do not have to obsess about death. We don't have to obsess even about getting old. And, I, you know, I know, again, we're all at a different journey. Some of you are not thinking a whole lot about death. You're you know, you just turned 13. You've got the life in front of you. Uh, you're not thinking about when you are going to die. Others of you are, 
you know, euphemistically in your twilight years. And, and so you think about it. You've laid to rest your, your loved ones. And you, you think about what that's like. But the resurrection comes to us and says, look it. You know, what you are clothed in now is perishable. But it's a seed that is planted and it is raised imperishable. You are sown in dishonor but raised in honor. And how do we know that? Because Christ is the first fruits. Because Christ has been raised, we have hope that this life is not our end. Now, does that mean that death is not hard? Absolutely not. You know, the passage says the last enemy to be defeated is death. Death is an enemy. Death will never truly be our friend, right? Death is an enemy. It wasn't meant to be in this world. It's an interloper. But, but there is something greater than death, and that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead. And there is so many blessings, there are so many blessings that flow from that truth into our lives. Now, of course, there, you know, you, you have to accept them. You have to be found in Christ. I mean, these things don't happen for everybody. You know, you've heard that phrase, you know, throughout the morning, you know, those who are in Christ, or if we are raised in Christ, then we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and being in Christ is not a matter of, it's not a matter of doing more, trying harder. You can never earn your way into to God's favor. And, and some of you recognize that. Some of us forget that. You know, we think our good theology, we think, you know, the, you know our adherence to the regular principle, all of these things. We think these are the things that are ultimately going to matter in the end. But what's going to matter is whether we know the absolute sort of desperation of clinging to the finished work of Christ, his death and resurrection. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. You know, if that is your reality, then know that these wonderful, wonderful truths of the resurrection belong to you. When Bubba Watson won the uh, Masters golf tournament uh, in 2012, somebody asked him, they said, Bubba, is this like a dream come true for you to, to win the Masters? And he thought a moment and then he said, you know, 
I actually never dreamed that far. So I can't rightly say it's a dream come true. And I wonder, when it comes to the resurrection, have we dreamed far enough? You know, are we grasping everything, all of the blessings that are ours in Christ and living out of them? Or have our dreams stopped short? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Lord, we thank you for the, the, the good news that you have given us even today uh, of your resurrection that comes and, and speaks a new reality to your people. Lord, my prayer for each one of us is that we would dream far, uh, not daydream in the sense of unreality, but that we would allow ourselves to be carried on by the truth and reality of what you have given us in Christ. Father, we know that uh, each one of us is on a different journey, and so my prayer this morning is that you would meet us all where we are, whether we are rising to greet the morning or we've been weeping through the night, whether we come with full or empty hands, may you find us and may you lead us deeper, deeper into a real relationship with the Lord Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen.